Today is part two in, in a little mini-series, a two-part mini-series, part two, called Godfidence. And if you weren't here two weeks ago, you might be like, well, what is Godfidence? What are you talking about? Godfidence is this. It is confidence in what God says is true about himself. You see, it's not enough just to believe in God. We said two weeks ago, and we'll say it a lot today, what we believe about God really, really matters. It greatly impacts the quality of our lives. It impacts the way we relate to him and our ability to trust and follow Christ, our creator. So in part one on December 17th, part one of confidence, we unpacked the life-changing truth of this, that God is with me. And I wish I had time to recap that for you, but you can go on YouTube and watch the message if you're interested. God is with me because today, now we're going to unpack another life-changing truth that will have enormous impact on our lives in 2024 if we believe and embrace what God says is true about himself. And he says this, that he is also for me. God is for me. We're going to jump right into scripture because the question is, well, how do we know that? Where does that come from? We're just like everything we know, all truth. It comes from God's word, from the scriptures. So look at Paul's words in Romans 8. He says, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? Now, when we jump to that verse 31, we got to go, well, what wonderful things is he talking about? Well, to find out what those wonderful things are, we have to look Ahead of that, the context of it, what verses say that come before this one, but we're not going to do that just yet. Okay? You're going to have to hold on. We, I am going to tell you about these wonderful things a little bit later in the message, but we're going to pause on it right now. We're going to keep going. Suffice it to, suffice it to say they are very wonderful things, but I'm not going to tell you just yet. So let's go ahead. What shall we say about these wonderful things is these, if God is for us, Who? Who can ever, ever be against us? Now, Paul isn't asking whether or not God is for us. It's actually a rhetorical question, so it's a question that's meant to make a point. Paul is making the point. He is declaring, our God is for us. The wonderful things that I haven't told you about yet are the evidence that God is for us. In part one, we said that King David greatest king uh, of God's people, the Old Testament, uh, his nation, Israel, greatest king there ever was, a man after God's own heart. We said that he was a man with great confidence because he trusted in God's unfailing love. Listen to what, uh, how he made this truth about God so personal. King David said, this I know. He said, God is for me. King David said, he's not just for us collectively. My God is for me personally. King David, he personally embraced that truth. He grabbed hold of that truth, and that truth grabbed hold of him. He said, this I know my God is for me. What about you? What about me? I mean, do we possess, as we sit here today, do we possess that kind of assurance that level of confidence that we can just declare without hesitation, my God is for me. I mean, if there was such a thing as a confidence meter, you know, 
Where, where, as you sit here today, where's your confidence meter? You know, is it way up here or is it way down here? As we sang that song and we said, he is for you, he is for you, he is for you. Can you declare that with confidence today? Or do you hear that and you're kind of like, yeah, right. I'm not so sure about that. My guess is that for many of us, our confidence meter, it might be possibly way down here on the low side, probably due to circumstances in our lives. You see, we just can't imagine how it's possible that God is for us when we consider the things that have happened or are happening in our lives. I mean, how how could God be for me when my boyfriend of two years just suddenly broke up with me right before Christmas? How could God be for me when I didn't get that job that he knew I wanted so badly? How could God be for me when my rent is going up again and I'm barely making ends meet? How could God be for me when my marriage, it is still in such a bad place and getting no better? How could God be for me when, when I'm still single after all these years? still alone how could God be for me when my loved one didn't get the healing I prayed for over and over and over again how could God be for me when every day and every aspect of my life is just so stinking hard it's just hard to be me every day and you're going to say God is for me How about you? I mean, what would you say is your personal, how could God be for me when, dot, dot, dot? I think either consciously or unconsciously, I think what we tend to feel like is that one of a couple things. Maybe we feel like God just doesn't understand. He He just doesn't quite understand what, makes me happy or what will make me happy he doesn't get me that's the problem here or maybe it's perhaps we think he simply doesn't care you know he cares about the world in general but me personally my needs and my wants he just doesn't really care he doesn't have time for that or worse worse we're like Lisa who actually believes that God is against her Lisa was a previous co-worker of a good friend of mine. And this woman in her late 40s, she actually said things like this to my friend when my friend tried to engage in spiritual conversations. Lisa said this. Lisa said, God is mean. Hope is evil. Humans are given this insane ability to hope. I don't know where that comes from, but it is evil. I can't love anything because God will just take it away. What we believe about God really, really matters. There's no doubt that Lisa has experienced pain and loss in her life, and it's left her confused, alone, bitter, angry. Her confidence meter, it is smashed. Just in bits and pieces, broken. But does it have to be that way? 
You know, does the struggle and the pain and the heartache of this earthly life, does it have to lead us down this road of confusion and depression and isolation and bitterness? Is our best option to just lay the blame on God and run as far away from him as possible? That's obviously another rhetorical question to make a point. And the point is that that is absolutely the worst action, course of action that we can ever take. And I'll bet many of us, I'll bet we know people who we've watched them, we've watched them go through something really difficult in life. They endured a significant loss or a significant hardship, but we watched them not only come through it and kind of survive, but, but we, we saw them come out stronger. You know, rather than bitter, they came out better in many, many ways. Maybe that describes a lot of you sitting here today as well. You can think of that thing in your life, that season, that time, that pain that you went through, and somehow on the other side, it was like, I'm not just okay. I got a little better as a result of that. Why? How? How is that possible? I think it's because of this unshakable confidence. I know. Without a doubt, I know my God is with me, and I know that my God is for me. So I'm not blaming him and running from him. No, just the opposite. I'm running right to him. I'm running straight to him. I'm running to him for the comfort I need, for the strength, for the guidance, for the clarity, for all the help, because I am confident. I know he cares about me, and I trust. I trust in his unfailing love for me. How do we get to that kind of confidence in the midst of all the pain and the heartache of this life? How do we do that? Well, I think it begins here. I think it begins with a change in my understanding. You see, I think one of our biggest problems is that our idea of what it means that God is for me, it doesn't quite line up with what God means when he says he's for me. You see, for many of us, our idea of God being for us, it comes from a book known as, um, in the Bible, called Second Imaginations. Have you heard of that one? <laughs> it's not really in the Bible. But this is what we tend to think. If God truly loves me and he's for me, then my life will be smooth sailing. He will never allow anything bad to happen to me. My circumstances, my relationships, my job, my bank account, my entire life will always be easy and wonderful, and I'll be happy. If this is what we are expecting from God in this life, we are sure, absolutely sure to be disappointed and confused and ultimately angry and bitter like Lisa, blaming God and shaking our fist at him. Listen to God's word. Um, words God actually spoke through the prophet Isaiah. He says this. God says, For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. You see, God's idea of for me, it's not only way different from my thoughts and ideas about it, it is far superior. It is way better than mine. So let's unpack what God means when he says he is for us, okay? 
So let's go back to Romans 8.31. Remember, it says, what shall we say about such wonderful things? Well, here are one of the wonderful things in a verse just ahead of this, verse 28. Paul gives us one of these wonderful things. He says, for from the very beginning, God decided that those who came to him, meaning we return to him and choose to trust him and follow him, all along he knew who they would be. That's his foreknowledge. So what is it he planned from the very beginning? He decided that they should become like his son. You see, God's plan is that for all those who make the decision in this life to put our trust in Christ, our creator, and then to follow him because we trust him, follow his ways, we will become just like Christ. He's talking about a transformation of our character, the way that we think and the way that we feel and the way that we act, the things that we do. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he says it this way. He says, the spirit of the Lord works within us as the spirit of the Lord works within us. We become what? More and more like him. More and more like Christ, our creator, the one whose image we bear. Scripture says we were made in God's image. There's an author of a book, the uh, Max Anders. The book is called New Christian Handbook. We sell it in our bookstore. And he says this. He says, our unique identity, God wants to preserve. He still wants me to be me and you to be you, that, that uniqueness about us. But the results of sin, he wants to rid us of. And it's then that we discover our real selves. What is our real self? Our Christ-like self. Can we just press pause for a moment and really allow that reality to sink in? I mean, use your imaginations here for a, for a minute. What would it be like to be like God? To think the way God thinks. To feel the way God feels. To live like he lives and to love like he loves, as Pastor Randy often says. Imagine, just imagine experiencing the inner life that God himself enjoys. I mean, what, what if you woke up tomorrow, the first day of 2024, and you woke up without even a hint of any kind of shame or guilt inside of you? Not even a hint. What if starting tomorrow, you never again, never ever again experienced any kind of fear? No insecurity, never any kind of worry or anxiety. What if you were suddenly and completely free, utterly free from any kind of anger, any bitterness, any resentment, any jealousy? What if there was never ever, a, not even a hint of dishonesty or manipulation, controlling ways? We all have those inside us, right? Come on, let's, let's be honest. But it's all gone. Not a hint of greed, not a hint of pride inside of us. What if starting tomorrow, you and I, we never had another immoral thought go through our head? Not one single immoral thought, and therefore, there was never an immoral action in our life that would occur. Never again did, did any of us ever struggle with a bad habit that controlled and consumes us. Imagine waking up tomorrow with an inner life that is just completely full of joy, full of peace. 
We become those who are just so patient, so gentle, so kind, so good all the time. It comes so easy and natural. We don't even have to think about it. We're just so consumed with love and compassion for people that we never have a selfish thought or motive even enter our heads. We're always devoted to the highest well-being of others. Imagine tomorrow, January 1st, you are utterly devoted to the will of God, your Father, loving and trusting him so completely that you can't even wait to see what he has planned for you each and every day. Does this appeal to you? I mean, do do you see and sense and feel the beauty in this so much so that you want it for yourself? Because if we don't see the absolute beauty of Christ's character, then we will never have a reason or desire to pursue it for ourselves. You see, the reality is this. You got to like God to want to be like God. Right? And it might sound crazy, but it's true. There are people who attend church every Sunday who don't really like God. You see, they're just fulfilling some kind of a religious duty. They want the blessing of God, but they don't want God himself. As Pastor Randy says, they just want to get God off their back and on their side. If we don't see the beauty in Christ's character, we will never want it or pursue it for ourselves. And just as you and I need to be able to see the beauty of his character, we also need to be able to see the ugliness of sin. We need to see how it poisons our souls. It erodes the quality of our lives. It contaminates our character. It is not our friend. We don't just need forgiveness of our sin. You and I, we need freedom, freedom from sin. Remember the wonderful things Paul mentions? He says, what shall we say about these wonderful things? Well, in verse 21, he gives us this wonderful thing. He says, the world around us will share in the glorious freedom of sin which God's children enjoy. What he's talking about is that future day when God is going to restore. Christ will return, set up his kingdom, and God will restore his plan for humanity. And that restoration plan means freedom from all sin. The future that God has planned for those who trust in him is completely free from sin. Never another immoral thought or action. Never another sinful thought or action from any of us. So I ask again, does God's plan to transform you and restore the image of Christ in you, beautiful in character and completely free from sin, does that appeal to you? Because if we don't like what we see in Christ, then we won't want what God wants for us. And that's what God means when he says he is for me. So once my understanding of what God means when he says that he's for me, once that expands, my understanding expands, then there's another change that I can make, and it's a change in my perspective. You see, when God says he is for me, he is for what he knows I am capable of becoming because I'm created in his image. So he's not for my present circumstantial comfort. He is for my future character development. He's not for my pleasure and what I think would just make me happy in the moment. He is for my potential and what he knows 
I'm capable of becoming because he knows exactly what we're capable of becoming. And because he knows it, he allows us to go through some struggles, some pain, some hardship, even some heartache because he knows, and this one's hard for us to hear, but he knows it is ultimately for our good. Can you receive that this morning? How does a caterpillar develop into a butterfly? How does a tiny grain of sand develop into a pearl? From pressure. Pressure over time. Pressure and struggle. They don't develop without the pressure and the struggle. And the same is true of you and I. Think about this little illustration here. Think about a coach and a world-class athlete. I mean, um, the coach sees great potential in the athlete. Or, or if you're Ted Lasso, then, then you smell the potential, right? <laughs> Any Ted Lasso fans? Yeah. <laughs> Smells like potential in here, right? <laughs> so what does that coach do? Is he going to pamper that athlete and say, you just relax and you take it easy? I don't want you to have to struggle in any way. You just sit on the couch, you, you eat potato chips, and you watch Hulu all day. Do whatever you feel like doing because there's something special in you. No. A good coach is going to work that athlete hard. They'll put pressure on them. They'll put them through exercises that cause them to struggle and to work hard every single day. And then they'll even restrict their life. They'll restrict the way they eat, and they'll restrict their sleep and other habits. Why? All because they see the potential in the athlete, and that potential will never be reached without struggle and without restriction. The coach's desire is to help them become the great athlete that he knows they are capable of becoming. The coach is for their player. How about this example? Have you ever heard of snowplow parenting? Snowplow parenting. We used to talk about helicopter parents, and now it's snowplow parents. Just like a snowplow clears off the street, a snowplow parent removes any obstacles in their child's way because they just don't want their child to experience any kind of discomfort or struggle. I want to make the way easy. So they intervene and they fix everything. They push it all out of the way for their child. Oh, honey, you shouldn't have to suffer or struggle in any way. Are they helping their child? There's a lot of recent studies being done now. And these studies are showing that depriving kids of difficulties results in kids who they don't develop, they deteriorate. They are unable to handle feelings of frustration. They don't know what to do with them. So they just give up at the first hint of a challenge. They're less able to learn. They struggle more in their learning. They lack problem solving. They lack self-control. They lack self-efficacy. And they experience, get this, increased anxiety. The way is being cleared, and yet their anxiety is rising up and greater than ever. Folks, just as our physical bodies need stress, and they need pressure, and they need challenges and work to develop. That's what we do in a gym, right? As we all sign up in this new year, but we'll only go for a couple weeks. <laughs> That's why I don't bother signing up. <laughs> so does our character. 
Our character simply does not develop in positive ways when all of the obstacles are removed from this path in our life. We don't develop, we deteriorate. There's a purpose in the struggle. And that's why God makes this uh, another amazing promise. You know, the wonderful things Paul referred to were just prior to that, 28. He says, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. For the good. In all things, in and through all the struggles and the hardship, all of the sorrows and all the heartaches, God promises that he is working for us. He is working out things for our good. And we know now that for our good means for our what? Our growth and our development. It's for our potential, what he knows we can become, which is just like Christ our creator. So the question, does that mean that God is causing all of the struggle and heartache in my life? No, not all of it. Perhaps some of it, though. Possibly some of it. You see, Hebrews, writer of Hebrews says, the Lord disciplines those he loves. A good parent disciplines their children because they love them. Just like the coach, he puts the athlete through discipline, struggles, challenges, restrictions. For what reason? In order for them to develop and reach their potential. So some of it, it probably is God himself because he loves us. Some of the struggle and the heartache, it is our own doing. And I'll bet that's most of it, don't you think? The only finger we can point is at ourselves in the mirror. You caused this. You created that. And the truth is, is that much of the struggle and heartache, it's simply because we are in this period of time where God is now allowing evil for a little while so that he can abolish it forever. You see, humanity, we chose to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So now we are in the time of knowing. We are experiencing evil and sin. We are living in a world with sin so that we can know it because we chose it. Deterioration, destruction, and death. So whether he caused it or I caused it or, or it's just the result of living in a sin-filled world, God promises, no matter which case it is, God promises he will bring something good out of all of it. Why? Because he is for us. He is with us in the midst of the pain and the sorrow, he's there to comfort us, to strengthen us, to guide us, to help us. But then from that, he will bring good out of it. He promises even the worst things that happen in this life. God is capable of bringing out something that is good for our good. He will use the struggle to make me stronger. He will use the challenge to make me more patient. He will use that heartache to rid me of selfishness. He will use the pain to make me more loving and compassionate. In all things, in all things, God works for the good of those who... Okay, wait a second. There was a little caveat. I missed that the first round. Apparently, this doesn't apply to everyone. It only applies to those who what? Love him. Apparently, this is a conditional promise, so it only applies to those who love God. 
He will only work for the good of those who love him. Why would that be? Perhaps it makes total sense. Because he simply can't work for the good of someone who doesn't love him. If we don't like God, we don't want to be like God. And if that's the case, then I don't want him working for my good. I don't want him working for my development and becoming like Christ. That's the last thing that I want, right? God has given us all free will. And so with that, he will never, ever force us to become something that we have no interest in becoming. But if I like God and I want to be like God because I love him and I love his beautiful ways and I long to reach my potential becoming like Christ, then folks, watch out. Watch out. If that's the case, God will use every single thing that happens in my life, every situation, every circumstance, every relationship, every struggle, every heartache, all of it, he will use it all for my good that I can reach my potential, what I'm capable of becoming. So once our understanding and our perspective change, then we are able to change this, our approach our approach. Does anybody remember two weeks ago, I ended the message with, I was saying what I want you to know and what I want you to do. Anybody remember what I wanted us all to do? I'll act like you remember. Pray, read your Bible, and come to church, right? The basics of the Christian life, of trusting and following Christ, what it looks like. Only I said, don't do these things as some kind of a religious and ritualistic activities. Rather, Two weeks ago, we said as ways of experiencing God's presence, as coming face to face with him as only we can at this period of time where his presence is invisible. God with me. But I want to end this message by encouraging us to do the same in 2024. Pray, read your Bible, come to church. But in addition to meeting God and experiencing his withness, my hope is that we will also utilize these practices as our way of cooperating with God in his plan to develop the potential that is inside each one of us to be like him. As we said, God will never force us to become something we don't want to become. He waits for our cooperation. It's a collaborative effort. So as we meet God through prayer, we can cooperate with him by praying as King David did. You know, King David, again, the man we said who trusted in God's unfailing love and declared, this I know, God is for me. Look how he prayed. He says, Lord, show me your ways. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me for you are God, my Savior, and my hope, it is in you all day long. Because I have complete confidence and assurance that you are for me, King David says, I desperately want to follow your ways and I want to walk along the path that you've laid out for me because I know it's good. I know it is good. So Lord, show me in my prayers. Lord, teach me because I want to be like you. Could that be our daily prayer in 2024? And here's another bold prayer. That King David prayed. He said, search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there is any offensive way in me. Because I know you are for me, Lord, I want you to show me the things inside of my heart. I know it's going to be hard. 
I don't really want to see it, but Lord, show me the things in my heart and my soul that need cleaning out because I want to be free from anything, from selfishness, from jealousy, from anger, from bitterness, all that stuff. I want to be free from, from any selfishness, from any sin that keeps me from reaching my potential to be like you. So show me, Lord. Show me. Bold prayer. Bold prayer. And then when we meet God in his word, read the Bible every day. As we meet God in his word, we can also cooperate with his developmental plan for us. In Godfidence part one, we focused on this. All scripture is God-breathed. We meet God on those pages. The, the, the words are breathed directly from God, our creator, and we meet him there through those words. It's his revelation to us. But look what it goes on to say. All scriptures God breathed and is useful to do what? To teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. See, when I understand and embrace the truth that God is for me, then I start to approach his word differently. I go to his word daily and I say, teach me, Lord. And I even say, correct me, Lord. Scripture that teaches me what it's like to live like God loves and love like God loves. Scripture that points out the wrong things that I'm doing or the wrong ways that I'm thinking. I look to his word to change me and to develop my character for my good. And then lastly, my approach, my approach to church changes as well. You see, along with this amazing Sunday morning experience in his presence as we come together and worship together as his church, then I also seek to engage and participate in ways that allow God to do a deeper work, a much deeper work for my good. In Hebrews, we find these words, motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Motivate one another. Encourage one another. Colossians, teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. Those aren't things that can easily happen in a large group on a Sunday morning. And that's why just as important as this large gathering of weekly worship and celebration are the small gatherings when we come together. When we come together and we share our lives with each other in small groups where we're known and we know others. To know and be known so that we can encourage one another so that we can teach one another and so that we can admonish one another. What does that mean? It means to lovingly correct one another. Why would I want to do something like that? That's scary. Because, folks, just as God is for us, we are for each other. We are for each other. We want to help each other reach our full redemptive potential in Christ. So therefore, we will encourage each other and motivate each other, each other. And we will teach. And we, when it's necessary, we will lovingly and we will gently correct one another for our good. Because we care. Because we care. So as we pray, as we read our Bibles, as we come to church in 2024... May those all be a means that we cooperate with God's developmental plan for us in this new year. You know, they say about 92% of the people who make New Year's resolutions fail at keeping them, right? Have you heard that? 
and so that perhaps we could follow the new trend that's out there so you don't feel like you fail, you know, and it's that thing where you, you pick a word for the year and the word's meant to guide you and inspire you and motivate you. So maybe, maybe our word could be Godfidence. Godfidence in 2024. Confidence in what God says is true about himself. My hope and my prayer is that in 2024, all of us, every single one of us as a church, we grow in our Godfidence as we remember and we, we re embrace what God declares is true of himself that he is with us and that he is for us. Come on. Because what we believe about God, it really, really matters. It really matters. The last night that Jesus was, was with his disciples before his arrest and his crucifixion and his ultimate resurrection, he did something a little unusual as they were eating the Passover meal. And his reason for engaging them in this moment the way he did, it was to give them something tangible that they could continue to do in order to always remember what was true about him. That he loved them, that he loved them with an unfailing love. And, and that he would always, always be with them. Even though he was going away, he would always be with them, they could be sure. And that he would always, always be for them. So 2,000 years later now, those of us who've trusted in Christ and we're following him, we continue this simple little practice to help us remember. Remember these amazing and important truths. Our God loves us with an unfailing love. He is always, always with us. And he's always for us.